to be here with you guys. I am Mark. I'm one of the pastors on staff. So let's, uh, we got to kind of get back on track, right? So three weeks ago, we were in Mark chapter 4, and Rob uh, Selleck did a masterful job of going through verses 1 through 20. Then two weeks ago, we had to hit pause because it was Easter Sunday or Easter weekend, which was fantastic. Then last weekend, Pastor John was here, and if you were here, that was incredible. Wow. Um, and so interesting about last week, and I don't always know what to do with myself when I'm not preaching. Right? I was like, what do I do? I'm just, I feel like I'm in the way, right? So, I, and I goof around, I cause trouble. So then I went up, to, I thought I'll go visit all the children's classrooms. So I did that last, both services last Sunday, 9 and 11, went to all the classrooms, the adult education uh, classrooms. And um, it was awesome. You know, some people were surprised to see me. I think I made some people nervous. But, uh, it, you know, it was fine. It was great. The kids and the workers. And so I know many of you here serve in children's ministries. And I just want to say thank you. I was so moved and so touched. And I just want you to know that we're grateful uh, on behalf of the church, on behalf of the families. Um, thank you for the work that you do. It's really important work to, to pour love and truth into the lives of our young uh, men and women and children. It's just incredible. So thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. It's incredibly important. Um, yeah, I think I got all that, all that stuff. We had a child dedication um, last service, which was amazing um, for Jason and Renee um, and their kids, Atlas and Nora. So that was pretty special. Let me find my place, and then we will rock and roll. Okay, so um, we're in Mark chapter 4, picking up at verse 21. We're going to do 21 through 34 today. As you're turning there, I just, let me, let me, preface uh, mark 4 verse 21 um you know god's word at times right it can be complicated and i'm okay with that and there's times where it's really simple and i think this is a uh, a simple message to be honest with you but i think it's it's incredibly profound and um i'm really anxious to share it with you and pray that you receive it for the way i think god intends for it to be so let's uh let's pick up at mark chapter 4 starting at verse 21 And Jesus was saying to them, A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. Whoever has, to him more shall be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Verse 26. And he was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows how he himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Verse 30, And he said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God, or by what parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. Verse 33, with many such parables, Jesus was speaking the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. Let's pray. 
Oh, our dearest, closest Heavenly Father. I'm so excited to be in a church with a church family that embraces the truth of your word. We treasure it. And so we treasure it this morning as well. We desire to hear from you, Lord, and we want you to have your way with us. This is your church, Lord. Do with us what you desire and give us strength to say yes and to follow obediently. We love you, Lord. We love each other. We love your word. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So, there's a story told of a gentleman named Heinrich Heine. He was a German poet from the mid-1800s. And he was standing with a friend before the Cathedral of Amiens, which is in France. It was the largest of three Gothic cathedrals that were built in France. And see, his friend says, Tell me, Heinrich, why can't people build piles like this anymore? My dear friend, replied Heinrich Heine, in those days, people had convictions. We moderns have opinions. And it takes more than an opinion to build a Gothic cathedral. And what that means to me when I'm hearing that is it takes conviction to build something great. And this drives our conviction. And with conviction, driven by the truth of God's Word, God can do incredible things. He can build great things with conviction based on the Word of God. Otherwise, we just end up with a bunch of opinions, and that's just dangerous and nasty. And I, don't, I don't know where that goes, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, many of you may have heard of him. He was a German theologian and pastor and was uh, known for his book called The Cost of Discipleship. And he was actually uh, killed by Hitler. Um, I think in the late th- he was in his late 30s. And he says this. He says, the church, this is powerful, the church is her true self only when she exists for humanity. What a challenging word, right? What an incredibly challenging word. I'm just so driven by this and what God's showing me, I guess you can say, through Mark. And just being reminded of our role as a church. And I've said it before, it's a tall order to be the church. And before I forget, because um, I forgot to say this last service, and that's, I'm wrestling with that as a pastor, with the other pastors and with the elders and trustees as to um, what God wants of us, what he expects of us as a church. And it's exciting. Our outline for this morning, verses 21 through 25, is that we're a people of light. We're a people of light, and we're to shed our light to others. And that God is mighty. When we do our job, God does his job. And that there is a kingdom to ignite. And that's the mustard seed. We'll, um, we'll unpack all this as we go. So let's read again verses 21 through 25, if you will. Mark 4, 21 through 25. He was saying to them, a lamp is not brought. Now listen, right? A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? It's a rhetorical question. Of course not. Or under a bed, is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? Of course it is. Another rhetorical question, just in a different way. Nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. Church, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Wow. 
In the previous verses that Rob Selleck covered a couple weeks ago, Mark 4, verses 1 through 20, we encountered the four different soils. Remember that, right? The four different soils. Or the hearts, if you will. And three of them did not bear fruit, right? Three of those four did not bear fruit. But one does, and it bears fruit 30, 60, and 100-fold. Okay. Each of the fruitless soils, those three that produce no fruit, or the fruitless hearts, is influenced by a different enemy in that parable. The first enemy, the first soil that did not produce, was a hard heart. And it's the devil himself snatching away the seed. Right? That's the first reality. The second is a shallow heart that that parable tells us about from a couple weeks ago. The flesh, that's the flesh counterfeiting religious feelings. And then the third soil that didn't produce is the crowded heart, the things of the world that smother growth and prevent a harvest. So let me repeat those. You had the devil snatching the seed, we had our flesh, and we had the world. The devil, the flesh, and the world. These are the three great enemies of becoming a fruitful Christian. We have three things that are wanting to wipe us out as believers in Christ. The devil, our flesh, and the world. And for reference, I'll just post it. We're not going to read it. You can find that in Ephesians 2, 1, 2, and 3. It talks about that. Those three things are trying to wipe us out. So let me give you uh, an illustration to kind of make a, a, a point on some level, right? So a lot of times we think we just need to be out of certain environments for us to have a healthy Christian life, right? So if I can just hide from the devil, that's what I'll do, right? There's three things, our flesh, the devil, and the world, right? So I'm going to hide from the devil in such a way where he can never find me again. All right, that's one down. Now you've got two more you've got to figure out. Now you've got to get away from the world somehow. So all right, go, go to some cave somewhere. Devil can't find you. There's no address, right? You're in a cave. The world can't find you. So the world system can't bother you, right? So the devil can't find you. The world can't bother you. But you're stuck in a cave with who? Yourself. And that third thing is your flesh. That's enough. That'll wipe you out. So, when it says in verse 23, if you have ears to hear, let him hear. What it means to hear biblically is this. We hear audibly, we understand in our heart and in our mind, and then we blank accordingly. What do we do accordingly? We hear, we understand, and we blank accordingly. Act. That's what it means to hear. To be a hearing, believing Christian is to hear the Word of God, to understand it, and then to act accordingly. I'm really big on execution. There's a lot of things I don't know how to do. So the few things I do, I just try to execute well. I want to act accordingly. When we don't, if we're not being fruitful, if we're not acting according to God's Word, then one of those three things is a problem. Right? Satan's got his grip on you somehow, the world's got its fingers in you somehow, or your flesh is causing you to do things that you shouldn't be doing, to be unproductive and unfruitful. That's just reality. That's what Scripture says. So we need to consider that. When the fruitful heart is talked about in verse 20, which Rob covered, this heart pictures a true believer of Jesus Christ because fruit is the evidence of our salvation. It's the evidence of our citizenship in the kingdom of God, which Jesus talked about in Mark 1, uh, verse 15. Right? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. So fruit is the evidence of true salvation, true citizenship. And that's what it says in Matthew 7. Jesus said it twice. You will know them by their fruit. You'll know my followers by their fruit. 
So I don't think it's a coincidence, I don't think it's a mere coincidence that the parable of the lamp and measure, and that's what verses 21 through 25 are, it's called the the lamp and measure parable. I don't think it's a coincidence that that follows. Let Let me explain. Look here. In Luke, this lamp and measure parable is found in Luke 6:38. It's found in Luke 8, 16 through 18. It's found in Luke 11:33, Luke 12:2, Luke 19:26, Matthew 5:15, Matthew 7:2, Matthew 10:26, Matthew 13:12, and Matthew 25:29. What's my point? It's probably important. What's about to be read, what we're about to unfold, is probably pretty critical to the church. Yes? Of course. In this parable, Jesus uses a common object, a lamp, in a familiar scenario or a familiar scene called the home. The lamp was nothing more than a clay dish filled with oil with a wick stuck in the middle, right? If the lamp was not lit or if it was covered up, it does no good, right? It does no good. And so verse 21, when it says, when Jesus says, a lamp is not brought to be put under a basket or under a bed, is it? No, Jesus, it's not. Oh, let me ask you another way. Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? Yes, Jesus, it is. It speaks to purpose. God has a purpose for fruitful seed when he concludes the four soils and says, be fruitful 30, 60, 100 fold. We're meant to be lamps. We're meant to shine not to be hidden. What a great challenge for us as a church. In order to give light, the lamp, listen to this, the lamp (laughs) had to use itself up. And the oil had to be replenished. The lamp had to use itself up. To be used by God, we're going to have to use ourselves up. But the good news is, we can get replenished. And the oil represents the Holy Spirit. And so we just, we spend ourselves And then we get filled up. And then we spend ourselves. And then we get filled up. And then we spend ourselves. And then we get filled up. It's like wash, rinse, repeat kind of thing, right? It takes a lot of diligence to do that. But it's what we're called to do. The apostles were like that lamp. They were called to shed God's light and to reveal His truth. And if you don't have to turn there, and that's what Mark 1.14, when it says Jesus came to Galilee to preach the gospel. In Mark 1.38, it says, when Jesus says, let's go somewhere else, I need to preach there. That's what I came for. And then when he recruits the twelve, it says in verse uh, Mark 3.14, he appointed the twelve so that they would be with him and he could send them out to preach. The apostles were like this lamp. You and I are like this lamp. We are called to shed God's light and to reveal His truth. And this is not a new teaching. This isn't a, oh, we've never heard this before. Oh, look at Exodus. Way back in the day, right? Exodus 19. Now then, church, if you will indeed obey my voice, right? Hear it and understand it and, and act accordingly. If you will oh, indeed right, obey my voice and keep my covenant, act accordingly. Then you shall be my possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you, church, shall be a, to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the church. Welcome to the priesthood. I'm not alone. Right? I'm not alone. Of course I'm not alone. I'm not meant to be alone. We're to do that work. And what a priest does is two things. The priest brings the people to God and brings God to the people. 
really does. That's all we need to do. Find out how we can be a part of bringing people to God and God to the people. But it's hard to do that. It's hard to give out unless we take in. And that's what we see in verse 24 and 25. Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you and more given you besides. For whoever has to him more shall be given, but whoever does not have even what he has shall be taken away. The more we hear the word of God determines how much we have to give to others. Can I get an amen? The more we hear the word of God determines how much we have to give to others. I'll say this, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If this is all the word of God you're getting is on Sunday, you're in trouble. Because it's just piddly old me bringing it to you, man. Like, We've got to take that responsibility. The more we hear, the more we can give to others, right? The more we can replenish, the more we can pour out. The moment that we think we know it all, this verse says, what we think we know will be taken from us. That's what the scripture says. If indeed we're the good soil, we like the parable of the soils. Oh, I'm the good soil. I'm the Christian. I gave my life to Jesus, right? Okay, I'm with you. I think that's us. If we are indeed the good soil, then logically we must consider the good we are to be doing. Makes sense, right? If we're the good soil, then shouldn't we logically consider the good that we should be doing? Should not God expect a good return? Should not God expect a good return for those that are His? Oh, of course. Of course. The apostles were ordained to receive the gospel not for themselves only, but for the good of others, to communicate it to them. Church, (laughs) we're lamps. Clay, a little bit of oil, a wick, light her up, and off we go. We're just lamps, man. Nothing special, common stuff. But God can do great things, as we're going to learn about in that little mustard seed, right? We're lamps. And we have a purpose as a lamp. Mm. One commentary says this. I think this is powerful. Listen to this. Many who are lighted as candles put themselves under a bed or under a bushel, and they do not manifest grace themselves nor minister grace to others. They have spiritual gifts, but do not use them. They burn to themselves. I don't want to be that guy. I've been that guy. I've burned to myself. It's not good. And so verses 23, 24, and 25 directs us It directs those who hear the word of the gospel to really consider, to mark what they hear, to take it serious, and to make good use of it. Our well-being depends on how we engage the word of God. Matthew Henry says a couple of things about these verses. He says first, he says three things. Number one, as we deal with God, God will deal with us. If we are faithful servants to him, he will be a faithful master to us. Two, as we improve the talents that we are entrusted with, we shall increase them. If we make use of the knowledge we have for the glory of God and the benefit of others, it shall sensibly grow, he says. Gifts and graces multiply by being exercised, and God has promised to bless the hand of the diligent. 
God has promised to bless the hand of the diligent. God has promised to bless the hands of the diligent. I might not be a lot of things, but I am one diligent dude. I am. I just don't do a lot of things well, but I can be diligent. Look what it says about being diligent in Proverbs 13, verse 4. This is incredible. Look at the soul of the sluggard, not the diligent, craves for things and gets nothing. Their soul is empty. But the soul of the diligent is fat. You can meet people who have just been through stuff or they're going through stuff and you just go, how is your soul so full? That's what God does. That's what God does when we're diligent in Him. And the third thing Matthew Henry says is if we do not use, we lose what we have. Right? Use it or lose it. How many PTO days do I got left? Three. If I use it, do I lose it or use it or lose it? Or right? Anyway, I don't know what that means. But here's what's cool about the last thing Matthew Henry says. We don't use it, we lose it. There's a quote, I think, there's a quote, ready? Yeah, thank you. Bearing a talent is a betraying of a trust. God blesses us with gifts and abilities and talents. And Matthew Henry says when we bury a talent, we're betraying the very trust that God bestowed that upon us with. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. Sometimes it's hard not to betray that trust. Sometimes I don't feel like it. Sometimes I don't like the calling on my life, as I'm sure some of you don't either. I don't like serving this way or doing that or let my lamp shine this way because it costs me a little bit. And I'm busy. Don't bury your talents. It's a betraying of a trust. God's trusted each and every one of us with something. I think that's amazing. 26 through 29. And he was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day. And the seed sprouts and grows. How? He has no idea. The soil produces crops by itself. The blade, the head, the grain, and the head. And when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And so I love how Mark takes us from receiving. And remember Rob talked about that, right? I think he called us dirt, right? Did I receive this, right? So how well do we receive? And so Mark takes us from what kind of receivers are we, and he tr- puts us right into now we've got to be distributors, right? We go from receiving to distribution just like that. Mark doesn't even give us a break. We don't get to enjoy all the things that we receive. We go from the receiving business into the shipping business. We have to now start distributing the very things that we receive, and I think that's powerful. When he says the kingdom of God is like, that's what he means. It's like a person who casts seed upon the soil. And that's what's involved in kingdom work. We, as a church, have to somehow figure out, are we doing good or can we do better about casting seeds? I think we're doing okay. I think we can do better, right? How are we at casting seeds? Now, I, don't want to under, I don't want to understate this, but it's to make a point. So follow along, because we'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up, this thought here. How complicated, how complicated is it really to cast seed? It, it's, not, it's not that complicated to cast seed, to you know, let our lamp shine, to whatever that looks like. We won't unpack that too much, right? And everybody's capable of casting seed. If it's not complicated, then all of us are capable of doing it, right? Okay. The parable also reminds us, however, what we're not capable of. We're all capable of casting seed. That's what the parable says. What we're not capable of is we can't make the seed grow. That's God's business. 
We, in fact, can't even explain how it grows. We can not only not make it grow, we can't explain how it grows. I use a microwave. I don't know how it works. I don't really care. I just know it works. And so when we do kingdom work, we just do our part, and we watch God do His part. And I'm encouraged by that. It takes a lot of faith and patience to be a farmer. In the parable of the soils, verses 1 through 20, much of the seed fell, three three-fourths of it, 75% of it fell on unproductive soil. Well, we don't want to waste our time casting seed on unproductive soil, and then the soil that we do cast it on, if it is good, we don't know when or how that happens. That's God's business. Our role and responsibility is to be the seed casters. And that, that would discourage his workers. And so in the parable, Jesus reassures them by saying, you do your stuff and I'll do my stuff. And there will be a harvest. It'll be fantastic. You cast seeds, I'll do the growth. You don't need to know how it works. It's none of our business. And Paul reminds us of that in Galatians 6, 9 when he says, this is a powerful verse. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. Sometimes we grow weary as individual believers, as a church. And this says a lot, this verse. First thing, it says, let us not lose heart. Why does he say that? Because we lose heart. He's not going to address something if it's not a reality. So we lose heart. And Paul says, don't lose heart. And the second thing he says, in doing good. So what it tells us is we're to do good. And that in the doing good, we're going to be tempted to lose heart. And so we need to get replenished, that oil, right? So there's lots of things we've got to do. For in due time, oh, yeah, in due time, I don't get to determine that time. In God's time, the things we do, the seeds we plant, the ways we let our lamp shine, how it works and where it works and what timing is none of our business. We don't get to take credit for it. You might be serving in children's ministry and something you said to a four-year-old, what that might propel that four-year-old to somewhere, you might not have no idea. It's not for you to know. You just cast that seed. So cool. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. And so he says, if we do not grow weary, it's the same thing as do not lose heart. Where do you go when you lose heart? Where do you go when you grow weary? I have places I go. I have men, primarily in this church, primarily the elders and trustees, that we don't just do church business together. We pour into one another's lives. And when I'm weary and I'm losing heart, I can tap into them and they can pick me back up. I'm so thankful. I have so many wonderful, godly men in my life because I grow weary, of course. But it should never stop me from doing what I need to do. So I replenish and I get back to work. It's fantastic. One commentary also says this, that the word of grace, the word, the word of grace, when it is received in a heart, becomes a work of grace, and the preachers contribute nothing to it. I just love that. So here's what's cool for me. I'm completely off the hook, right? Like, I'm so, there's like no pressure on me. If this all goes bad and you guys become just bad Christians, it's all your fault. It's completely not my fault. That's just so, it's just so fantastic. It's all on you, right? It's great. I'm so relieved. Thank you. Thank you for that. This has been a great week. It's like, wow, it's not about me. I, I've known that, but now I really know it. And it says the seed sprouts and it grows and it produces crops. How? Gradually. It says the blade and then the head and then the grain. And it says it does it by itself without our comprehension. And we don't always like it that way, do we? 
We don't like that things work without us understanding it or why and the timing and all that stuff. Perhaps we like to know how everything works first. If I invest my time doing this for Jesus, what do I get for the return of my investment of time? Nothing. You get to allow God to do what He does. You do what you do and let God do what He does. And trust Him for that. Perhaps we won't engage in certain activities unless we somehow, the motivation for us is we want to take the credit for it. We want to be noticed. We want to be certain that our efforts will have results. And that's kind of the deal with the seed casting, right? The casting the seed's easy. The hard part is we feel rejected. And, and you know, maybe people don't want to you know, hear the gospel and things of that nature. I get it. But the casting the seed part's easy. Let God do that stuff. Let God work in people's lives. Why? Why are we always trying to figure out God? Why are we always trying to figure out God before we do stuff? I think we discover God as we do stuff. I just say we do our thing and let's let God do His thing. Right? Let's do our thing and let's let God do His thing. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 and 7, 5 through 7 says this. Paul writes, What then is Apollos? And who am I? What is Paul? We're servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, sure, Apollos watered, yep, but God was causing the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. I'm, I'm nothing, man. I'm just a, you know, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? Who's Mark? Who's Pastor Dave? It's all about God who causes the growth. This is so great, man. This is just so on you guys. It's fantastic. Ha! Verse 30. Verses 30, 31, and 32. And he said, how shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? Which is interesting that he asks it twice. How shall we picture the kingdom of God? What parable shall we present it? It's like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. This parable clearly reveals and emphasizes the contrast between the smallest of seeds growing into the tallest of shrubs, obviously. It contrasts the insignificant and obscure beginning of God's kingdom in the form of Jesus Christ who was dying on a cross. Embodied in the presence of our Lord and Savior with the greatness, it's contrasted with the greatness of the end result to be established at His second coming when it will surpass all the earth's kingdoms in power and glory. Amen. This parable would be an encouragement to the disciples. It was just a motley crew of men trying to build a great kingdom that Jesus said was at hand. From very small beginnings, the kingdom of God would eventually grow in size and in influence. More than likely, the mustard seed was the smallest seed that Jews sowed in their garden. It was a traditional symbol of that which is tiny or insignificant, often how you or I might feel doing God's work. Trust me when I tell you, I feel pretty insignificant, and I'm way okay with that. I am so okay with that. It's just reality. I'm just, you know, I'm just doing my job, right? I'm just a mustard seed kind of guy, and you're probably mustard seed kinds of girls and guys. That's fine. God can do great things with that. Incredible. It took 750 mustard seeds to equal a gram. 750 to equal a gram. How many grams are in an ounce? 
Somebody knew this last service, no pressure. Huh? Who said 28? Avery, did you look it up? No, of course not. Of course not. Put away your phone. 28. 28. So it's, okay, 750 in a gram. 28 grams equal an ounce. So if you do 750 by 28, it's 21,000 seeds to weigh one ounce. Multiply that by 16 to get to a pound, it's 336,000 seeds for one pound of seed. It's small. You get the point, right? I was going to do like pallet loads and truck loads, but I thought I'd just stop the math. So again, Jesus used the seed to symbolize the rapid growth of the kingdom of God. He began with 12 apostles. And shortly after his ascension, as many as 500 believers we know about. In the book of Acts, we see thousands at a time come to Jesus. It's starting to accelerate. And here's what's really cool. In spite of the sins and weaknesses of the church, in spite of the sins and weaknesses of the church, the message and the gospel of Jesus Christ has been carried to other nations, and one day saints from every nation shall worship before His name and before His throne. And we, find about, uh, we read about that in Revelation 5.9. Every nation will worship before His throne. It's impossible to obtain exact figures, but there exists no doubt that the Bible is the world's best-selling and most widely distributed book. Recent estimates put the number at between 5 and 6 billion. Let me give you some of the other top sellers. The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. 150 million. Not 5 to 6 billion, 150 million. That's a lot. That's a lot. The Hobbit, also by Tolkien, 141 million copies. Anybody heard of something called The Little Prince? The Little Prince? Raise your hand. All right, well, you, wow, wow. I never heard of it. Now, the, uh, the author is Antoine de Saint-Exupéry or whatever. It's a French guy, I suppose, or girl, I couldn't even tell you. 140 million copies. A lot of them are here. Apparently. <laughs> How many copies did you guys buy? Wow. Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone is what it was originally called. I learned that. I feel so smart. 107 million copies. A book called And Then There Were None by Agatha Christie. 100 million copies. And then some that had really questionable numbers, but worth noting. Don Quixote by Miguel de Cervantes. They, they say it could be as many as 500 million copies, but they're, you know, give or take 500 million is basically what it said. We're not really sure. And then A Tale of Two Cities by Charles Dickens, about 200 million copies, roughly. You get the point, right? That from very obscure mustard seed beginnings, this man on a cross whose disciples weren't even there on Resurrection Sunday, and just what it's ballooned to. And we're part of that. A few thoughts worth noting. The work of grace, the work of grace in a soul is perhaps at first a small thing. Perhaps. But never were such great things undertaken by such an, an inconsiderable handful of men as that of the twelve disciples to minister to the nations. What a motley crew. And we're encouraged by that. We read in Scripture about the men and women that followed Jesus and say, well, I, I, I can do that. They're kind of messed up. I'm kind of messed up too. This is perfect. Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday of this week, I was at a... I'm, I'm, I, uh, two of my pastor friends that I've known for about 20 years, uh, they're in a pastor peer group. And so there's four men, and then I joined about seven months ago. 
and they do an annual retreat. So we were gone Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at a pastor's peer group, just those five men. Uh, <laughs> and so one of the things we did in those three days is we told our testimonies. And, uh, and if you've never done it, I would encourage you to do it. It's really powerful to see and to listen to how God works. But I'm talking like an hour and a half to two and a half hours to tell, us, to tell our stories. And just to see um, how God's worked in all of our lives. And so I went first. And um, I, I wouldn't say I was embarrassed, but, I, you know, I had some stuff. And I thought, wow, <laughs> when I'm done, it's like, okay, thanks for coming. It's been a good seven months. You're out of our group. Like, clearly, I have enough compelling evidence for them to go, get out of here. And then they told their stories. I never felt more normal than when these four men shared their stories. I'm like, if I'm the sane one in this group, we are seriously in trouble. And just the stories, and there was felonies in the group, and just stuff that, it was fantastic. And I've known Pastor Glenn, I'm like, you got a felony? Like, that's fantastic. Like, I just don't picture him as a a felon. I was just so impressed. And we're listening to stories and going, if our churches only knew what we're sharing around this table, none of us are employable. None of us would have a job right now. Well, especially them four. Especially those four. That's why I didn't give last names or churches, right? I mean, these guys are jacked up. I just, I was fantastic for you. I'm like, wow, man, I thought I had a story. But it just, what a perfect timing for this text to go, we're just mustard seed little people with jacked up stuff. And God says, yeah, I get it. I get it. I know how it works. You do your thing, and I'll do my thing. You do your thing, and I'll do my thing. Mark, do your thing. Let me do my thing. But the growth of that seed is only one part of the parable. What about the birds of the air that nest in its shade? The reference to the birds most likely indicates the surprising size of the end result of what's happening in God's kingdom. And it probably also represents the incorporation of the Gentiles into God's kingdom. But what's interesting to me about the word shade, listen to this. It says shade cast by an object, right? It's not shade unless there's sun, and so it's got to be an object that creates shade, right? Shade cast by an object with clearly perceived boundaries, right? So if something's making something shady, there's boundaries of where that shade exists, right? And so we get to nest in that shade. And oftentimes... We aren't experiencing the shade of the Lord, are we? We don't feel like we're in the shade of the Lord or protected by the Lord or the refuge of the Lord. But it's more likely, it's more than likely that we have somehow left the boundaries of this great provision that God provides for us, of resting in Him. And so then we go back to, wow, is it Satan? Is it my flesh? Is it the world? I don't feel the shade of the Lord. It's usually because we've left somehow. So we have to revisit that. In closing, let's look at verses 33 and 34. With many such parables, he was speaking to the, the word to them so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his disciples. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we become citizens of the heavenly kingdom, the heavenly nation, children in God's family, and subjects. We are subject to, we are subjects of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. What a privilege! What a privilege! And when it says that he explained these things to his disciples, what that means is that he kept on explaining and kept on explaining and kept on explaining. They needed a lot of explaining, didn't they? Just like you and I. And sometimes that becomes burdensome, but we have to be diligent to allow things to be kept on being explained and kept on being explained. Why? Because God's infinite. We're never going to get to a place where we don't have to get things kept explained to us. 
And I love that. I don't, why, I don't want to get to the end of my God and go, that's it. I've just consumed all that there is to consume of God. That's not a God we want to serve. That's not a God at all. That's finite. God is infinite. And so we just be diligent. And we just keep on getting things explained. I mean, where were we when we first came to know the Lord? It's like, oh, the Bible's so confusing. I don't know. Everything's crazy, right? And we learn. And we, with diligence, right? And God keeps on explaining. He keeps on explaining. I hope that's an encouragement to you and I. It is to me. The Lord wants us to know about His kingdom, His mission, and our role within it, doesn't He? He wants us to know about His kingdom, His mission, and our role. Our little seed stuff that we carry with us every day. Our little lamps. He will keep on explaining as we keep on exploring. He will keep on explaining as we keep on exploring. So as we get to this point in chapter 4, here's what we've gotten accomplished so far in chapter 4. In 1 through 20, we hear, right, the soils. We hear in order to understand, and we act accordingly, and we become soil that bears fruit. That's 1 through 20. And then in 21 through 25, we become obedient to that which he has called us to, and each and every one of us realizes that, wow, we're fruitful, so we have to let our lamp shine. We have to let our light shine. We have a role within the church, within the body of Christ. And then in 26 through 29, we shine as lamps and we cast seed. And then we entrust the casting of that seed into the mighty hands of our God. And then in 30 to 32, we watch the magnificent things the Lord does with mustard seed stuff. Did God do some big stuff in Honduras this week? You bet. Ryan and one of his, who went with you, Patrick? Or Mitchell. And then um, Jared Strobel, Right? You mustard seeds jumped on a plane. You didn't get mustard seed rates, I don't presume, but you got there nonetheless, and you did some work in the Honduras for a week. Awesome. Here's what's cool. Look at the very beginning of verse 32. Here's the key. Yet, yet, when it is sown. Yet, when it is sown. Nothing happens until we sow that seed, and we allow God to do what He does. Yet, when it is sown, where will you plant? Where will you allow, to be, allow yourself to be planted in God's work, in His handiwork, in this thing called the church? Where will you plant? Roger and Alina came up here and said, hey, come to, you know, a uh, party in the park. Go bless some families. Serve some food. Do whatever, right? Serve in children's ministries. They always need help. That's a, one, of the, one of the hallmarks of this church is how effective we are in children's ministry, but it is a juggernaut to pull off every week. I'm telling you. And I'm glad I don't have to deal with it. Because I just think, this sounds stressful. Pastor Doug and people don't show and this and that. I'm like, I, I just have to preach. And I get that's a big deal, but that's a, that's, a, that's a deal, man. It's a lot of moving parts in children's ministries. Maybe you can serve once a quarter, four times a year. I might do that. Maybe you need to be, maybe you can be a greeter, a parking lot person that, you know, I, this is one of my, if I wasn't preaching, I would be in the parking lot. That would be where I would go. I love being in a parking lot. Waving to people, greeting them when they come out of their car. Like, what a great first impression to say hi to people and welcome into the love of Christ the minute they get out of their car. Sometimes it's not always a good thing because some families are still working through their stuff. But I dig it. Maybe you can be part of the worship team or whatever it is. We have lots of ways to serve in this church. You can go on our website and find out. Anyway, you get my point. I'm going to pray. Our prayer team will be available. Uh, Art's going to come up and lead us in a final song. And then after Art's done with a, 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 the last song of worship, our prayer team will be available to my left. Thank you for your ear. I love this church. And, I'm, uh, and as, as myself and 
uh, the, the staff and, and the elders and trustees continue to wrestle with it. Um, we're excited. We're excited about this church. It's, it's such a joy to serve with you guys. So many of you are excellent lamps, and you've allowed the Lord to use your mustard seed talent and faith, and I'm so, so grateful. God bless you. Uh, let me pray. God, you're incredible. You're just incredible. Why and how you do what you do is beyond our comprehension. But Lord, the things that we do know we're to do, Lord, help us to do that well. Help us to cast seeds. Help us to let our light shine. Help us to advance your mission, your kingdom, your purposes, and help us to understand our role within it. God, we're together. We're in this together as a church family. Love this church, Lord. So thankful for it. We lift all of this up to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Mm-hmm.